0: chapter 5 of the dog crusoe and his master this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org this reading by alison hester of athens georgia the dog crusoe and his master by r.m. ballantyne chapter 5 a mission of peace unexpected joys dick and crusoe set off for the land of the redskins and meet with adventures by the way as a matter of course night in the wild woods one day the inhabitants of mustang valley were thrown into considerable excitement by the arrival of an officer of the united states army and a small escort of cavalry they went direct to the blockhouse which since major hope's departure had become the residence of joe blunt that worthy having, by general consent, been deemed the fittest man in the settlement to fill the major's place. Soon it began to be noised abroad that the strangers had been sent by government to endeavor to bring about, if possible, a more friendly state of feeling between the whites and the Indians, by means of presents and promises and fair speeches, The party remained all night in the blockhouse, and ere long it was reported that Joe Blunt had been requested and had consented to be the leader and chief of a party of three men who should visit the neighboring tribes of Indians to the west and north of the valley as government agents. Joe's knowledge of two or three different Indian dialects and his well-known sagacity rendered him a most fitting messenger on such an errand it was also whispered that joe was to have the choosing of his comrades in this mission and many were the opinions expressed and guesses made as to who would be chosen that same evening dick varley was sitting in his mother's kitchen cleaning his rifle his mother was preparing supper and talking quietly about the obstinacy of a particular hen that had taken to laying her eggs in places where they could not be found Van was coiled up in a corner, sound asleep, and Crusoe was sitting at one side of the fire, looking on at things in general. I wonder," remarked Mrs. Varley as she spread the table with a pure white napkin. "I wonder what the Sodgers are doing with Joe Blunt." As often happens when an individual is mentioned, the worthy referred to opened the door at that moment and stepped into the room. Good eating. Dame, said the stout hunter, doffing his cap and resting his rifle in a corner while Dick rose and placed a chair for him. The same to you must, Master Blunt, answered the widow. You've just come in good time for a cut of venison. Well, thanks, mistress. I suppose we beholden to the silver rifle for that. To the hand that aimed it, rather, suggested the widow. Nay, then, say rather to the dog that turned it said Dick Varley, but for Crusoe, that buck would have been couched in the woods this night. ho! Oh, if it comes to that, retorted Joe, I'd lay it to the door of Fan, for she'd never been born another would Crusoe, but it's good and tender meat, whatever ways you got it. Howsiever. I've other things to talk about just now. Them sodgers that are eatin' buffalo tongues up at the blockhouse as if they'd never eaten meat before and didn't hope to eat again for twelve months. I, what of them? interrupted Miss Varley. I've been wondering what was their errand. Of course she was, Dame Varley, and I've come here a purpose to tell ye. They want me to go to the Redskins to make peace between them and us. And they've brought us a lot of goods to make them presents with all. beads and knives and looking-glasses and vermilion paint and sick-like. Just as much as'll be a light load for one horse. Boy, you see, nothing can be done with the Redskins without gifts. "'Tis de blessed mission,' said the widow. "'I wish it may succeed. Do you think you'll go?' "'Go? Ay, that I will.' Oh, I only wish they'd made the offer to me," said Dick with a sigh. And so they do make the offer, lad. They've given me leave to choose two men I'm to take with me, and I've come straight to ask you. I you know, for we must be up and away by break of day tomorrow. Mrs. Varley started. So soon? She said with a look of anxiety. Hi the ponies are at the yellow creek just at this time but i've heard they're about to break up camp and away west so we'll need to use haste may i go mother asked dick with a look of anxiety there was a, evidently a conflict in the widow's breast but it quickly ceased yes my boy she said in her own low quiet voice "'and God go with ye. "'I know the time must come soon, "'and I thank him that your first visit to the Redskins "'will be on o peace. "'Blessed are the peacemakers, "'for they shall be called the children of God.' "'Dick grasped his mother's hand "'and pressed it to his cheek in silence. "'At that same moment, Crusoe, "'seeing the deeper feelings of his master were touched, "'and deeming it his duty to sympathize, "'rose up and thrust his nose against him. "'Ah, pup!' cried the young man hastily. "'You must go, too. Of course Crusoe goes, Joe Blunt!' "'Hum. I don't know that. "'There's no dependent on a dog to keep his tongue quiet in times of danger.' "'Believe me!' exclaimed Dick, flashing with enthusiasm. "'Crusoe's more trustworthy than I am meself. "'If ye can trust the master, you safe to trust the pup.' "'Well, lad, you may be right. We'll take him.' Thanks, Joe. And who else goes with us? I've been casting that in my mind for some time, and I fixed to take Henry. He's not the safest man in the valley, but he's the truest. That's a fact. And now, Yunker, get your horse and rifle ready and come to the blockhouse at daybreak tomorrow. Good luck to you, mistress, till we meet again joe blunt rose and taking up his rifle without which he scarcely ever moved a foot from his own door left the cottage with rapid strides my son said mrs varley kissing dick's cheek as he resumed his seat put this in the little pocket i made for you in your hunting shirt she handed him a small pocket bible dear mother he said as he placed the book on carefully within the breast of his coat the redskin that takes that from me must take my scalp first. But don't fear for me. You've often said the Lord will protect me, so he will, mother, for sure. It's an errand of peace. Hi, that's it, that's it, murmured the widow in a half soliloquy dick varley spent that night in converse with his mother and next morning at daybreak he was at the place of meeting mounted on his sturdy little horse with the silver rifle on his shoulder and crusoe by his side that's right lad that's right nothing like keeping your time said joe as he led out a pack horse from the gate of the blockhouse while his own charger was held ready saddled by a man named daniel brand who had been appointed to the charge of the blockhouse in his absence "'Where's Henry? Oh, here he comes!' exclaimed Dick, as the hunter referred to came thundering up the slope at a charge on a horse that resembled its rider in size and not a little in clumsiness of appearance. "'Ah, me's boys! Him's a good one to go!' cried Henry, remarking Dick's smile as he pulled up. "'No horse on the plain can beat this one, sir, "'Now then, Henry, lend a hand to fix this pack. "'We've no time to palaver.' "'By this time they were joined by several of the soldiers "'and a few hunters who had come to see them start. "'Remember, Joe,' cried one, "'if you don't come back in three months, "'we'll all come out in a band to seek you.' "'If we don't come back in less than that time, "'what's left of us won't be worth seeking for,' "'said Joe, tightening the girth of his saddle.' "'Put a bit in your own mouth, Henry,' cried another, as the Canadian arranged his steed's bridle. "'You'll need it more than your horse when ye get among the red reptiles.' Bram it, if my mot needs one bit, yours will need a padlock.' "'Now, lads, mount!' cried Joe Blunt as he vaulted into the saddle. Dick Varley sprang lightly on his horse and Henry made a rush at his steed and hurled his huge frame across its back with a violence that ought to have brought it to the ground. But the tall, raw-boned, broad-chested roan was accustomed to the eccentricities of his master, and stood the shock bravely. Being appointed to lead the pack horse, Henry seized its halter, and then the three cavaliers shook their reins, and waving their hands to their comrades, they sprang into the woods at full gallop, and laid their course for the far west for some time they galloped side by side in silence each occupied with his own thoughts crusoe keeping close behind his master's horse the two elder hunters evidently ruminated on the object of their mission and the prospects of success for their countenances were grave and their eyes cast on the ground dick varley too thought upon the red man But his musings were deeply tinged with the bright hues of a first adventure. The mountains, the plains, the Indians, the bears, the buffaloes, and a thousand other objects danced wildly before his mind's eye, and his blood careened through his veins and flushed his forehead as he thought of what he should see and do, and felt the elastic vigor of youth respond in sympathy to the light spring of his active little steed. He was a lover of nature, too and his flashing eyes glanced observantly from side to side as they swept along, sometimes through glades of forest trees, sometimes through belts of more open ground and shrubbery, anon by the margin of a stream, or along the shores of a little lake, and often over short stretches of flowering prairie land, while the firm, elastic turf sent up a muffled sound from the tramp of their meddlesome chargers. It was a scene of wild, luxuriant beauty— that might almost, one could fancy, have drawn involuntary homage to its bountiful creator from the lips even of an infidel. After a time, Joe Blunt reined up and they proceeded at an easily ambling pace. Joe and his friend Henry were so used to these beautiful scenes that they had long ceased to be enthusiastically affected by them, though they never ceased to delight in them. I hope said joe that damn sodgers will go their way soon i have no notion of them chaps when they're left at a place with nothing to do but whittle sticks why joe exclaimed dick varley in a tone of surprise i thought you were admiring the beautiful face of nature all this time and you're only thinking about the sodgers now that's strange not so strange after all lad answered joe when a man's used to a thing, he gets to admire and enjoy it without speaking much about it. But it is true, boy, that mankind gets in course of time to think of the little blisses he's used to. Wee, wee," murmured Henry emphatically. Well, Joe Blunt, it may be so, but I'm thankful I'm not used to this sort of thing yet exclaimed varley let's have another gallop so ho come along crusoe shouted the youth as he shook his reins and flew over a long stretch of prairie on which at that moment they entered joe smiled as he followed his enthusiastic companion but after a short run he pulled up hold on youngster he cried Ye must learn to do as ye bid, lad. It's trouble enough to be among wild injuns and wild buffalos, as I hope soon to be, without having wild comrades to look after. Dick laughed and reined in his panting horse. I'll be as obedient as Crusoe, he said, and no one can beat him. Besides, continued Joe, the horses won't travel far if we begin running all the wind out of them. Whoa! I think we must give him to the pack hospital, eh? Not a bad notion, Henry. We'll make that the penalty of running off again. So look out, Master Dick. I'm down, replied Dick with a modest air. Obedient as a baby and won't run off again. Till the next time. By the way, Joe, how many days' provisions did you bring? Two fast enough to carry us to the great prairie which is three weeks distance from this our own good rifles must make up the difference and keep us when we get there and suppose we neither find deer nor buffalo suggested dick i suppose we'll have to stop dot is comfortable to think upon remarked henry more comfortable to think o than to undergo, said Dick, but I suppose there's little chance of that. Well, not much, replied Joe Blunt, patting his horse's neck. But, do you see, lad, you never can count for starting on anything. The deer and the buffalo ought to be thick in them plains at this time, and when the buffalo are thick, they covers the plains so you can hardly see the end of them. but you see, sometimes the rascally redskins takes it into their heads to burn the prairies. And sometimes you find a place that should have been black with buffalo, black as a coal with fire for miles and miles on end. At other times, the redskins go hunting in tickular places and sweep some clean of every hoof that don't get away. Sometimes too, the animals seem to take a scunner out of place and keeps out of the way but one way or another, men generally manage to scramble through. Look yonder, Joe, exclaimed Dick, pointing to the summit of a distant ridge where a small black object was seen moving against the sky. That's a deer, ain't it? Joe shaded his eyes with his hand and gazed earnestly at the object in question. You're right, boy, and by good luck, we've got the wind of them. Cut and take your chance now. As a long strip of wood, as I'll let you get close to him.'" Before the sentence was well finished, Dick and Crusoe were off at full gallop. For a hundred yards, they coursed along the bottom of a hollow. Then, turning to the right, they entered the strip of wood and in a few minutes gained the edge of it. Here, Dick dismounted. "'You can't help me here, Crusoe. Stay where you are, pup, and hold my horse.'" Crusoe seized the end of the line, which was fastened to the horse's nose, in his mouth and lay down on a hillock of moss, submissively placing his chin on his forepaws and watching his master as he stepped noiselessly through the wood. In a few minutes, Dick emerged from among the trees and, creeping from bush to bush, succeeded in getting to within 600 yards of the deer, which was a beautiful little antelope. "'Beyond the bush behind which he now crouched, "'all was bare open ground "'without a shrub or hillock "'large enough to conceal the hunter. "'There was a slight undulation in the ground, however, "'which enabled him to advance about fifty yards further "'by means of lying down quite flat "'and working himself forward like a serpent. "'Further than this, he could not move "'without being seen by the antelope, "'which browsed on the ridge before him "'and fancied security.' The distance was too great even for a long shot, but Dick knew of a weak point in this little creature's nature, which enabled him to accomplish his purpose, a weak point which it shares in common with animals of a higher order, namely curiosity. The little antelope of the North American prairies is intensely curious about everything that it does not quite understand and will not rest satisfied until it has endeavored to clear up the mystery availing himself of this propensity dick did what both indians and hunters are accustomed to do on these occasions he put a piece of rag on the end of his ramrod and keeping his person concealed and perfectly still, waved this miniature flag in the air the antelope noticed it at once and pricking up its ears began to advance timidly and slowly step by step to see what the remarkable phenomenon it could be in a few seconds, the flag was lowered, a sharp crack followed, and the antelope fell dead upon the plain. Ha boy, that's good supper anyhow, cried Joe as he galloped up and dismounted. dat is better, nor dried meat, cried Henry. Give him to me. I will put him on my horse, which is stronger than yon. But where is your horse? He'll be here in a minute. "'replied Dick, putting his fingers to his mouth "'and giving forth a shrill whistle. "'The instant Crusoe heard the sound, "'he made a savage and apparently uncalled-for dash "'at the horse's heels. "'This wild act, so contrary to the dog's gentle nature, "'was a mere piece of acting. "'He knew that the horse would not advance "'without getting a fright, "'so he gave him one in this way, "'which sent him off at a gallop. "'Crusoe followed close at his heels, "'so as to bring the line alongside of the nag's body "'and thereby prevent its getting entangled. "'But despite its best efforts, "'the horse got on one side of a tree and he on the other, "'so he wisely let go his hold of the line "'and waited till more open ground "'enabled him to catch it again. "'Then he hung heavily back, "'gradually checked the horse's speed, "'and finally trotted him up to his master's side. "'Tis a clever cur, good sooth, exclaimed Joe Blunt in surprise. Ah, Joe, you haven't seen much of Crusoe yet. He's as good a man as any day. I've done little else but train him for two years gone by, and he can do most anything but shoot. He can't handle the rifle no how. then I think perhaps him could if he was try said henry plunging on his horse with a laugh and arranging the carcass of the antelope across the pommel of his saddle thus they hunted and galloped and trotted and ambled on through wood and plain all day until the sun began to descend below the treetops of the bluffs on the west then joe blunt looked about him for a place on which to camp and finally fixed on a spot under the shadow of a noble birch by the margin of a little stream The carpet of grass on its banks was soft like green velvet, and the rippling waters of the brook were as clear as crystal, very different from the muddy Missouri into which it flowed. While Dick Varley felled and cut up firewood, Henry unpacked the horses and turned them loose to graze, and Joe kindled the fire and prepared venison steaks and hot tea for supper. In excursions of this kind, it is customary to hobble the horses, That is, to tie their forelegs together so that they cannot run either fast or far, but are free enough to amble about with a clumsy sort of hop in search of food. This is deemed a sufficient check on their tendency to roam, although some of the knowing horses sometimes learn to hop so fast with their hobbles as to give their owners much trouble to recapture them. But, when out in the prairies, where Indians are known or supposed to be in the neighborhood, the horses are picketed by means of a pen or stake attached to the end of their long lariats, as well as hobbled, for Indians deem it no disgrace to steal or tell lies, though they think it disgraceful to be found out in doing either. And so expert are these dark-skinned natives of the western prairies that they will creep into the midst of an enemy's camp cut the lariats and hobbles of several horses, spring suddenly on their backs, and gallop away. They not only steal from white men, but tribes that are at enmity steal from each other, and the boldness with which they do this is most remarkable. When Indians are traveling in a country where enemies are prowling, they guard their camps at night with jealous care. The horses in particular are both hobbled and picketed, and sentries posted all around the camp. Yet, in spite of these precautions, hostile Indians manage to elude these sentries and creep into the camp. When a thief thus succeeds in effecting an entrance, his chief danger is past. He rises boldly to his feet, and, wrapping his blanket or buffalo robe around him, he walks up and down as if he were a member of the tribe. At the same time, he dexterously cuts the lariats of such horses, as he observes are not hobbled. He dare not stoop to cut the hobbles, as the action would be observed and suspicion would be instantly aroused. He then leaps on the best horse he can find, and uttering a terrific war-whoop, darts away into the plains, driving the loosened horses before him. No such dark thieves were supposed to be near the camp under the birch tree, however, so Joe and Dick and Henry ate their supper in comfort and let their horses browse at will on the rich pasturage. A bright ruddy fire was soon kindled which created as it were a little ball of light in the midst of the surrounding darkness for the special use of our hardy hunters within this magic circle all was warm comfortable and cheery outside all was dark and cold and dreary by contrast when the substantial part of supper was disposed of tea and pipes were introduced and conversation began to flow then the three saddles were placed in a row each hunter wrapped himself in his blanket and, pillowing his head on his saddle, stretched his feet towards the fire and went to sleep with his loaded rifle by his side and his hunting knife handy in his belt. Crusoe mounted guard by stretching himself out couchant at Dick Varley's side. The faithful dog slept lightly and never moved all night, but had anyone observed him closely, he would have seen that every fitful flame that burst from the sinking fire Every unusual puff of wind and every motion of the horses that fed or rested hard by had the effect of revealing a speck of glittering white in Crusoe's watchful eye. End of chapter 5.